Aloha, my unconventional friends out there. I hope you're doing well. It's Sunday morning for me. I just woke up, had a cup of tea, and uh, I'm looking outside the window. It looks like it's a very, very rainy day, or it's gonna be a rainy day here in Kuala Lumpur. Wherever you are, I hope you're doing well, and thank you so very, very much for all your messages and all your kind validation for, for this podcast. We are coming up at the end of the year, and this might be the last podcast, even though I have one more schedule to record, uh, but I'm also planning to take a short vacation next week, just here nearby Kuala Lumpur, but I want to be all by myself with no technology, no people around me, just my iPhone, my tripod, and a lot of quiet and peaceful uh, surroundings. So before we get started with the guest of today, um, the wonderful, the extraordinary, and the highly unconventional Amruta, who was my student, um, she's class of MBA 2020, I want to talk about the things that I like in the I like what I like. So you might have seen on my social media stories that I recently hired a team of professional organizers from TIGAS underscore MY, TIGAS underscore MY, T-I-G-A-S underscore M-Y. So why did I do that? When I moved into my new apartment in February 2020, I, I, um, I moved from a, a, a different apartment in the city, but I moved right before the first lockdown started. And I thought that during the lockdown, I'm going to have plenty of time to organize my house the way I wanted it to be. And because the the move was very uh, rushed, knowing that the lockdown would start, I pretty much stacked a bunch of stuff on top of everything and I didn't really have time to process it. And I don't mean physical time, but sometimes you need emotional capacity to process things. And believe it or not, during this, what, nine months now of of, uh, 2020, during which we had three lockdowns, I did not get myself around to organize the house. I don't know if for you organizing is a pleasurable experience, but for me it's stressful. And I need a special setting to do it, and I need special circumstances to do it. And somehow 2020 did not provide me the emotional capacity, the emotional space to organize my house. So one day I was on social media asking people in Kuala Lumpur if they know any professional organizers. And it turns out there are a few who are specialized in the Marie Kondo method, which I have to tell you, it gives me stress and anxiety just when I think about it. I am not uh, a hoarder by any means. I have moved houses more than 20 times in my life. And every time I move, I throw away at least half of my stuff and I donate a lot. But uh, I'm also somebody who doesn't like to to eliminate things just because of the um, aesthetics or because of the minimalism um, uh, approach. So I wanted everything uh, to be, I wanted a strategy that was more a strategy of putting the right place, the right things in the right place, but to find the right place, you need to think about it. So in the process of eliminating all the Marie Kondos out there, which whom I had, I don't have a problem, it's just not my thing, Um, A social media friend recommended this company. Um, It's five people. I think there's uh, there's two co-founders. And uh, I contacted them on social media and I said, listen, I'm interested in this. I've never done it before. I don't even know what the process looks like. And actually, it was pretty amazing. I managed to bring them over my house for a diagnosis. We... um, we went around the, the entire apartment to see what it needs to be organized and what it doesn't, how it's gonna how it's gonna look like. And then the other day came over at my house. They started in the morning and they left very, very late at night. So they spent 14 hours organizing um, my bedroom, my walk-in closet, my office area, um, my kitchen, my pantry, and the dining space. And I have to say, It felt like a storm um, in the process of 
organizing things. They had to take everything and just throw it in the middle of the room and then try to find space. And I have a feeling that for the next couple of days, I'm going to wander around trying to remember where we put the new things. But what I like about um, what the Tigas guys did, guys and girls, um, I love how they organize by areas. So, for example, I have everything of this kind in one place. Note side, I don't know, I have 27 chargers and adapters, but I guess this is back from the days when I used to travel. Um, I don't know, I have so many batteries in the house because I always look around, where's the batteries? And they never have batteries. And um, uh, the best thing, I think, is how they organize my pantry. So before the first lockdown started, I, I bought a lot of uh, cans of food. You know, since I'm a vegan, uh, canned food is very, very easy. And then um, I love to have everything uh, available in the house because I don't live next to a grocery store and I actually have to drive to do so. So I love my pantry. Um, the walk-in closet, I have to say, I I appreciated the organization, but I don't appreciate the, the strategy behind it. So I think they try to organize by color. Um, and I think we need to add another variable to that. Uh, organized by color and by function. So for example, just because something is blue, you're not going to put it in, in the same function space if it's an evening versus casual versus sports. But they hate that's that's a tiny that's a tiny observation in the big scheme of amazing things. So today I like the team for Tigas from Tigas. Uh, thank you so so very much for coming over for for creating a perfect store and then a perfect organization system. And uh, I hope you guys are ready for the um, highly unconventional Amruta in the segment uh, five on five with your unconventional professor, Loredana Padurian, on the Unconventional Professor podcast. Stay tuned. Amruta Harish, all the way from India. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Professor? I'm so excited to be talking to you, and um, I hope our connection is going to work. I know uh, the internet is having some problems today, people, so please stand by and have patience for us. <laughs> yes, please. We really hope that it works out fine this time. <laughs> so, Amruta, you're calling us all the way from India, and I just want to tell my for the first time that this is the five-on-five five segment of this podcast, where I get to ask my unconventional guests five questions and they get to ask me five questions and the amazing thing is that i don't know the questions and they don't know the questions so amruta are we ready for this yes i'm totally ready yay. yep yay i'm so excited all right i'm gonna start with my first question is the question that i ask everybody on my podcast tell us a little bit about yourself and what makes you amruta unconventional uh sure um so i recently from the asia school of business and of course you were my professor uh, so it's been, uh, and it's been a wild journey since then. Uh, it's been about six or seven months since I've graduated. Uh, and right now I'm working as a consultant for the Asian Development Bank. Um, so it's been, uh, due to the COVID situation, I'm working remotely from Bangalore, uh, India. But I hope to be relocating to Manila or the Philippines soon. Uh, so a little bit nice. about myself. Uh, I would like to believe that I am resilient uh, mm. and most of the resilience comes from my past experiences. Uh, and then I also think that my personality is such that uh, I like the concept of soft power. And so when I say that, uh, I generally don't, uh, I generally don't outrightly take up leadership roles uh, or I don't lead um, I don't lead people from the front, but I like influencing people from behind. Um, mm. And then, so I call it soft power because I'm not really yeah. being vocal, but I'm just behind the scenes trying to mm -hmm. make things happen. And I like to walk the talk. Um, and more recently, and more recently, I've started learning how to love myself. Uh, and this time when I learned how to love myself, it was about understanding how I react to things, uh, how I uh, learn things, and also more recently, like um, how to understand my body better and be mm. as fit as possible. Very interesting, Amruta. Um, for those of you not knowing, like Amruta said, she was my student. She graduated this year 
one of the most uh, difficult years, I think, to, to graduate and find yourself in a situation where the whole world feels like it's ending. Uh, thank you so much, Amruta. I, I just want to validate, I know how resilient you are. I, uh, I'm actually very familiar with your soft power, even though I would have never called it soft. Uh, and I'm going to be very excited to ask you a few questions about your journey on, on loving yourself. But right now, I'm ready for your first question. Yay! Yes. <laughs> uh, but thanks so much, Professor. It feels great to hear these things from you. Um, you when I first met you, of course, I was, <laughs> I, I was taken aback or, let's say, overwhelmed in a positive way about how amazing you are. Um, and, no, I'm serious. And uh, so I think uh, I did get seeing you be confident allowed me to learn to be confident too. Um, and so anyway, here we are. <laughs> um, so Indeed. my first question is going to be about your schedule. I know that you have an absolutely crazy schedule. Uh, you not only teach, but you're doing these podcasts, you're involved in a lot of activities. So in this schedule, how do you prioritize yourself and how do you prioritize your well-being? Thank you for such a great question. And I have to tell you that I identify as European. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Um, believe it or not, I, I am a very strong believer in balance. I really feel like today we, uh, we probably over talk about balance, but I actually believe in that. And I'm not, um, I'm not a workaholic against probably what you might believe of me. I, I'm not a workaholic. I enjoy working, but I enjoy not working equally. And um, my schedule actually starts at nine. I try not to do anything before nine because I'm incapable. Mm -hmm. So I don't allow any meetings to start before nine. But I also have the advantage of having a role right now that allows me to, to dictate my own terms. And then I try not to work after 6 p.m. But in between nine and six, I am a machine. So I think in my, in my case, it's not as much the schedule as much as I'm really fast and very efficient when I work. And I hope this doesn't sound like I'm um, overly confident, but um, I think you learned this from me, Amruta. I said this in class so many times. Proper prior preparation prevents poor performance. Yes. <laughs> you remember that? Absolutely. And it's one of my biggest learnings from the ESB program. So I think, I think because of that, um, and also because of the fact that I know my body really well, uh, I, I started to follow my own schedule where I stop working when I feel like I need to stop working. Because what I used to do before Amrutan, mm -hmm. I used to push myself really, really, really hard. And the truth is, I can work after six, but I'm not going to have the same productivity. Mm. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to probably move around and try to do something from six to eight and barely I do 10 minutes of good work, but I mess up my schedule. So today I learned that just like a phone needs to be charged, I also need to be charged. And um, I can work from nine to six very productively. And sometimes I don't work productively, but I know when to stop. And I stop because I know that no matter how hard I try, the effort is not going to meet the outcome. So why bother? You know what I yes. mean? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's, that's about my schedule. And then I also worship vacations. Um, I'm somebody who's going to have seven minute, minute meetings before I go on vacation to be sure that everybody knows what they are doing. Everybody has all the information and nobody calls me. And I also make a very strong uh, sort of, I make a very strong stance that when people go on vacation, I don't call them. I don't bother them. And I try to educate my team to do the same thing. So I, I think uh, maybe setting boundaries, it's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I actually think like those are two really good uh, points where you mentioned about knowing your body really well or knowing our body really well and setting boundaries. Uh, definitely both of them are important for managing a crazy schedule. But I really admire the way you do it because you when we were at business school, I was mainly seeing you being really productive and efficient. And uh, I could not really see the, see the times when you had a moment for yourself. And I yeah. was hoping that you actually did do that. And yeah. yeah, I do. And also I think because I'm such an introvert, 
I don't socialize very much uh, after work. I socialize when I feel like I have enough uh, emotional capacity. Mm-hmm. But um, my my non-productive time is not that exciting. So I'm not going to share that on social media. Pretty much what I do is just lay in bed, watch TV, play with my cats, cook, things like that. Things that are not very Instagrammable. But I believe very much in boundaries. And I think you can have boundaries if you, again, once again, if you are if you believe that proper prior preparation prevents poor performance yeah agree thanks so, for sharing Amrita, that speaking of yeah. oh my, my pleasure speaking of life um I, i follow you on instagram and by the way guys amruta has an amazing instagram account uh we'll share the the link with you and uh one of the things that i learned about you miss amruta harish is that this year for you was a year of transformation in many ways And uh, I am so amazed by your, uh, if you want, physical training journey. And uh, I, I know you're not doing it to compete for Miss India, which, by the way, you could compete <laughs> and win. But uh, I want to ask you, my, my question for you, my second question for you today would be, what determined you to go on this crazy journey? And, and before you answer, tell us a little bit about this journey of yours. Okay. Um, it's a very big question. And <laughs> yeah. um, so I could think about, uh, maybe I can start off with why I wanted to do this. Um, yes. So just as a bit of background, I was always very physically active, but not to this extent. Um, I was physically active for uh, the purpose of, I was physically active because I liked it, um, but mm-hmm. uh, but I never was looking, but I was never really considering how being physically active or being fit could improve the quality of my life. I just did it as an ad hoc activity. Um, so when mm. I started, uh, when I was in business school, of course, at the Asia School of Business, I had a real, I had a fit tribe, or rather I had my classmates who were focusing on their well-being and I realized yeah. that it was not something I did I never connected mm. fitness to improving the quality of my life um, I just considered them as two separate uh, things itself and so once I was able to make the connection uh, it became a lot more easier to uh, be consistent and disciplined about uh, fitness Interesting. yeah so um, For me, really, I had to understand what fitness means. And in my opinion, fitness would be treating my body to the best possible manner. So either physically, wow. like by being physically active, by nourishing it and resting so that I have the best possible life. Right. So it's not mm. it's not going to be the sole outcome. It's going to be just a way to make my life better, to improve the quality of my life. Mm. Um, so I started about 18 months back. Um, and for the past 18 months, I've been the most consistent I've ever been in my life, um, honestly. And that's amazing. That's amazing considering this environment. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's because I had a really good community around me um, and I was mm. able to change the way I thought about fitness um, from an activity to a lifestyle. And once I made that change, uh, it became a lot more easier to be consistent. Um, so when I talk about it being a lifestyle, um, I train, I eat well, I also rest s- as much as I possibly can. Uh, and so mm. in this past 18 months, um, it has started to show physically uh, in the sense that um, like I, in the sense that let's say I have become more agile. I have a lot more stamina. Uh-huh. Uh, I, uh, I feel a lot more hmm. better about myself and also mentally I feel a bit more productive and confident too. Interesting. Yes. And you look hotter. You look hotter too, which I have to say you, it was very, very hard to look hotter because you're very hot. <laughs> Thank you. Now I'm very shy. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just say once again, uh, if you guys don't believe me, check her Instagram account. I really do think that you look like a fitness supermodel or a candidate for Miss India. But I really love what you're saying about this becoming more of a lifestyle rather than, than, I guess, something that you need to do. I think a lot of us, including myself, we think that working out is a chore. Mm-hmm. So did you ever think that working out is a chore or you were always one of these fitness enthusiasts? Um, I, I think in the beginning, I did think of it as a chore. 
and but mm. again it was about changing my mindset um so for but how do we do that amruta because i don't want so i'm a lot older yes. than you are i hate working out i always mm-hmm. did i try to buy into this mindset into the lifestyle but it just doesn't click with me how do you change the mindset again another tough question <laughs> um i think because i don't uh, train or i don't work out to punish myself i like i work huh. out to feel better afterwards so for example when i train I it's uh, i know i'm challenging myself right and um the yeah. outcome the feeling of completing it is amazing then the way i physically look afterwards is amazing and so for example because i said that it's part of my lifestyle and i don't punish myself um i i do this let's say if i do not work out for 3 days i did not spend my fourth day making up for all the 3 days i've missed i just get back mm-hmm. on track and on the fourth day i do the i train the way i would have on the fourth day so i, I always try to make sure i never punish myself so for example if i eat more than i planned to in that day or i partied the next day i don't punish myself again i just continue with my training so uh, i i think that's So it doesn't have a negative no. connotation, right? This is what it you're trying to, to say. But I feel like it has to be positive. I don't know. Maybe if you were to become my trainer, but um, I, I, uh, I have, I had periods in my life when I was working out and I could feel that joy. But most of the time, I hated so much. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to take up all your time. But uh, some of the things that I really want to mention. I think there's a bad echo. I'm sorry guys if you're listening and there's a bad echo. I apologize for that. But treating my body to be fit for the best life that I can. I love that. And doing it to actually improve the quality of my life rather than punishing myself. I love that Amruta. So, we talked about getting better, we talked about getting stronger mentally and physically. Uh let's talk about the next question you have sure. for me now. Um okay, so talking about being fit Uh, I wanted to ask mm. you what's the craziest thing or adventure you've had which is fitness related or sports related and do you plan to do any in the future <laughs> So I think it's very public by now that I hate <laughs> I hate working out I hate sports I hate anything that has to do with physical stuff uh but at some point when I lived in Switzerland I discovered for some reason accidentally i discovered a, a machine that is called a power plate a power plate is um a platform that vibrates very strongly and it i think it's called a calisthenic exercise when you actually just sit there but you try to resist the force of the vibration so this is so weird i haven't thought about this on route in 15 years not 15 because haven't been that mm-hmm. but 10 years at least So somebody gave me um a membership gym as a guest uh, as a as a gift I think because otherwise I would have never bought it myself. So I went to the gym and I was looking around and I was thinking what is the laziest machine that I can ever use. So I looked at this platform that was vibrating. I was like, you know what? I'll sit on this. I don't need to do anything. Somehow something happened in my brain because after the first session I was hooked because all you do is just you resist. <laughs> I came to a point where I would train wow. twice a day. So for about 4 to 6 weeks I became addicted to this stupid machine to the point where I would go twice a day. And then at the end of the semester I was a student in my master's program. I went to New York and I saw my girlfriends and they were like what the hell have you been doing? You have a six pack. <laughs> I'm like where what? What I'm sorry, what did I do? I don't think I realized as I was training mm-hmm. obsessively what happened but I just I remember that my clothes started to hang a little bit looser and my butt started to tighten a little mm-hmm. bit higher but I never went I I never really understood what made me so addicted to that machine I wish I still had that addiction because I I think I was healthier and stronger and fitter but This is so strange. I never thought about that Abruta in like 10 years, but that was the summer of vibrations. <laughs> oh, that should be the that should be the name of a song. Have you ever heard of a power plate since you're such a 
uh, fitness aficionado? Actually, no, I haven't. And I was just about to tell you that. So, yeah, I um, I saw uh, it was more like a professional training tool. Um, and I, I only saw it in a, f- a few sort of like um, athlete gyms, not just regular gyms. Uh, but check it out anyway. So I don't know if the, the company is still in the market, but it was called Powerplate. And like I said, for me, four to six weeks, they gave me a, a butt tighter than JLo's. But just so you know, once I stopped, <laughs> it dropped. <laughs> but I think that's the thing about fitness, right? And why, um, and why I appreciate it so much. To maintain it, we have to constantly work hard. Uh, if we stop, we yeah. lose everything. And, that, and that's where the discipline yeah. steps in. Another thing that I think I would like mm. is boxing, because unlike you, I don't have a soft power. I think I have a very aggressive power. And maybe boxing would help me get some of the, the things off my chest because, before I drop them <laughs> on somebody else's chest. But uh, I think I'm more excited about things that have um, an exciting feeling, an adventurous feeling, an adrenaline feeling, rather than just, you know, pushing weights. Yeah, I get it. Also, you know what? It helps to go to a gym where everybody's so damn hot. That's a very good validation. <laughs> and motivation, motivation. All right. Amruta, one of the other things that we have in common, not that fitness is in common, by the way, guys, just so you know, she loves it. I hate it. But one of the things that I am so proud of this year is that we had a conversation about you turning yes. vegan. And we actually even have had an Instagram live where we talked about you know, your questions and curiosities about going vegan. So my question for you, my third question for you is about um, if you want your food lifestyle and your relationship with food and uh, what made you become curious about veganism? Uh, This is a good question. And this is a question um, I actually expected. Yes, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad we share it. Uh, we uh, we had a conversation before, um, and we share similar interests here. Um, so I wanted to uh, convert to a vegetarian a long time ago, but honestly, in Southeast Asia, we do have a lot of meat everywhere, and I was busy too. Yeah. And um, I decided to do it at a time when I could be prepared to convert, and. So more recently, mm-hmm. about three, four months back, I felt that I was in a position where I could make the right decisions or I had the time to do enough research and prepare myself to convert to a vegan. Right. And I also had to put in the factor of uh, put in the factor of fitness because I was training. Uh, yeah. I had to ensure that I was getting enough protein, enough good fat, uh, enough carbs in right proportion from vegan food. Um, so. Uh, that is one of the reasons I delayed. But my main motivations for converting was one, uh, for fitness purposes. Second was, I do love mm-hmm. our planet and I wanted to make yeah. an impact there. <laughs> and um, yeah. And, and you also had an amazing yes. dog at that point, which I know you gave up for. I mean, you were fostering and you found an adoption, adoption family. I found that when people have animals around them, it's a lot easier to, to yes. change your lifestyle. It's almost like a um, That's invisible true. And I motivation. I felt like I was being a hypocrite, really, because I would say that yes. <laughs> I love animals. I had a dog, but then I was eating a lot of meat. And I, and I really wanted to exactly. change because of that. So... Um, my journey since then has been really good. Um, and of course, it started once I had the conversation with you. Uh, I feel having the right, um, of, as always, having the right mindset is important and being prepared sufficiently yeah. uh, before the transition is even more so. Mm-hmm. So I remember you advised me about yeah. this and I did exactly that. I emptied my fridge completely of all items that were mm-hmm. dairy related or uh, or or animal product, animal product. That. and then I started filling it in with alternatives 
so now i have uh, now i drink a lot yeah. of soy milk or almond milk and i have uh, i have vegan uh-huh. cheese vegan butter uh, and of course that did take some time because i do not know many people in india who are vegan especially in bangalore especially in bangalore uh, so i had to do that research from start up uh, and that took me a bit of time interesting to, uh, it, it took me a bit of time to set it up and then later i'm surprised to hear that because i always thought that indians are because so many are vegetarians i thought there would be a lot easier Actually, to be I'm, vegan i'm not sure about it i there are a lot of this yes because of, because the, butter, of the butter huh? and milk we use a lot of milk mm-hmm. um yeah. and so because of that it became a little yeah. bit more challenging but i really liked the fact that i had time i was mentally prepared to do it uh so yeah we had a mm-hmm. discussion and the very next day i was vegan <laughs> and so <laughs> and so it was been great because from from the time even before i transitioned i had written out my, how my diet would look like uh because i was also training uh-huh. uh, um i was working out right and i was yeah. um and i was building muscle so i just needed to ensure i got enough protein and so i had to create my schedule first and for the first 2 3 weeks i had a a schedule of what i would be eating and how that would impact my yeah. fitness and i was also closely watching how mm-hmm. uh, how much energy i had while uh, working out i didn't want to be in a position where i would lose my energy and i wouldn't train as consistently mm-hmm. consistently as i did before so that's really been my food journey it's been about 3 months since i became vegan and so far it has been great it's been better on my stomach for sure because i have a weak stomach um so i don't feel that yeah. it's not that sensitive anymore uh, i feel better when i'm working out mm-hmm. i have good energy too i finish my workouts with a lot more energy than i did before um to be honest my um, the results are in the same uh, trajectory so i have seen results improving consistently whether i was um, whether i was eating animal products or even if i'm a vegan but what has really changed is my mm-hmm. recovery uh, i don't get that sore anymore yeah. um, and so uh-huh. recently yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually just last week i did like a deadlift for 75 kgs and <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, so oh 75 kgs for deadlift and to give some background I'm 52 kgs right now. And so that's yeah. about 100 <laughs> yeah, almost like 150% my body weight. So I have been consistently improving yeah. and I love it. I'm so happy to hear that and um uh I don't know if anybody wants to know about my vegan journey but I I I went vegan overnight just like you in my case because I saw the um the movie yeah. the game changer the Netflix movie the game changer but in my case I had the same I had the same reaction Amruta I was like I'm such a hypocrite <laughs> I keep telling everybody how much I love animals and the planet and here I am yeah. you know, having this lack of meat and I think purging my house of any temptations was the most important step and then i think in the mindset in my case it was why am i doing it and is that motivation strong enough to keep me going and the answer is yes because i feel like i'm doing it not as a diet uh but as a as a ethical mm-hmm. and moral choice and also um being educated i think so many people who tried it they did it in the wrong way where you end up only eating you know vegan pizza and fries and you know god knows what all and the, i'm so happy to hear that you as an athlete you are vegan and you can actually find energy and you can recover uh, and you can have proteins and you can have good carbs so this is so important and even in my case so i don't i don't work out at all but at that point i was doing physical therapy with the most amazing physical therapist in the world Zul by the way if you're listening Zul here's a kiss and i tried to do a plank before when i first started working out with him and i was an omnivore and i hated planks and i could barely do a 30 second plank i was such a cow <laughs> why am i saying that cows are nice i was such an idiot and uh yeah i i hate now when i use <laughs> when i use insults uh, animal related insults like why am i doing that and uh uh I didn't tell anybody that I I turned vegan because I first wanted to see if I can do it. I didn't want to have this like big statement on social media and then a week later like uh, somebody <laughs> find me in a corner eating a hot dog. 
But uh, Zul came, I, I think, a couple of weeks after I, no, maybe a month after I, uh, I started my vegan diet. And we did a plank and I was just sitting in the plank and I was like wishing for my life to be over. And I can tell that Zul was looking at me like, hmm, this is weird. And I'm like, what, 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 25 seconds? How many seconds I've been here? He's like, wow. it's been a minute and a half and you keep going. What did you do? Wow. I'm like, I don't know. What did I do? <laughs> and uh, I think that for me was the, the primary tangible indicator that I'm actually not weaker, but I'm stronger because the recovery process, it's a lot more productive. Yes, I agree with you. And I actually feel it too. All right. Yeah, I, I feel it too in many ways. Sorry, I keep talking and talking yes. and you have a question for so, me. Um, What's the question, perhaps I, could ask, I wanted to ask you about your vegan journey itself and extend you to that. So recently mm-hmm. you had a course or a class where you spoke about factory farming, right? Um, and so uh, I wanted to understand yeah. your motive. I know it's related to your journey itself, to being a vegan and your ethical and moral obligation. So what is your motive for having this class and what did you really try? What were your lessons as part of it? Mm. Great question. So to give you all a little bit of background, um, I teach many things, but I teach operations, entrepreneurships, uh, other stuff. And uh, when I first became a professor in 2011, I was teaching in a university in Boston and I had to teach uh, both at that university, but also the Indian School of Business. Hi to ISB, if anybody from ISB is listening. I had to teach sustainable operations. So in 2011, I find myself learning about sustainable operations. And I learned for the first time about the most unsustainable or the most, let me put it this way, the most toxic industries in the world. Uh, and the uh, farming, the animal farming industry is the second in the world after, um, after uh, uh, gas and natural energy. I hope I have the ranking right. Don't get me wrong. It's top five. So anyway, almost 10 years ago, I learned about these things. I, I started to read Michael Pollan. Michael Pollan did an amazing research on uh, factory farming in the United States and the toxic impacts on the environment and on the body, not just on the environment. If you don't care about the environment, fine, but it also has massive toxic effects on your body. And I think in the United States, you have a lot of evidence of that. Um, and I was shocked on Ruta. I, I remember having nightmares. I couldn't sleep. Uh, I couldn't stop thinking about it. But for some reason, I was a coward and I was like, you know, I'm going to close my eyes and pretend that this happened. I was a little bit like the ostrich, you know, if I close my eyes, yeah. this problem disappears. But and, and I thought about this for many years after that. And somehow I would still go home and, and eat, you know, meat. But I stopped going to McDonald's. I thought, OK, I'm going I'm not going to McDonald's. I'm not going to Burger King. I'm doing my job. And the truth is that I, I was a, I was false. I was a I was a hypocrite and I just pretended to care. Because I had the information, I had the knowledge, I had the sources, I had the power, I just didn't have Mm -hmm. the motivation. And then the more I learn about the effects that animal farming had on the world, and not just this, a bigger thing for me is cruelty in animal farming. So for those of you who don't know, please do a Google search, but warning, prepare yourself for what you might learn about cruelty in, the, in, in uh, animal farming. There is so much gratuitous cruelty. I mean, I understand if somebody must slaughter an animal, I think there are some kinder ways to do it. But the more I learned about it, the more I said, how can I... My family has a, a, a dog kennel. I have cats. I try to rescue animals. How can I f- be so false and pretend that I care about animals when I go to a supermarket and I have a, a piece of chicken or an egg or milk or, or meat when I know for a fact that these animals were abused and the farmers were abused too? So I just decided that I have very little power, but I can have power over myself. But also what I realized, to go back to your question, Amruta, I have the power of knowledge and I have Mm -hmm. the power of sharing. So my goal is not to make the world vegan, even though I have to say, I think we'd all be a lot healthier. And by the way, COVID started because we ate bullshit. Let's not forget about that, right? But my goal is to improve 
practices. So if I can train my MBA students to pay more attention to supply chains, to toxicity in the environment because of the lack of attention, um, uh, to uh, understanding what is the real cost of doing something, I feel like maybe I can achieve more than just by not eating burgers for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, and I, I think it's one of the most interesting courses I ever attended. It was extremely shocking. Uh, and it, it's yeah. right we all of us we right now we have access to the information and if we turn a blind eye to it uh, it's yeah. we're just trying to escape our moral responsibilities and and to be honest i am one of these people i have been on this earth long enough to know better but i also have to tell you when i started it i didn't start with the intention of of yeah. evangelizing uh, this mission and making others. Because if I can and do it in a soft way, you know, speaking of soft leadership, then great, mm -hmm. but I, I'm not gonna force anybody. But I also have to tell you, I was so surprised to see how supportive my family is. And my family is a traditional omnivore family, but they never questioned it. They were like, okay, if that's your choice, great. My mom started to create recipes. She was like, and, and also the great thing is that in Orthodox Christianity, three times a week, the church says oh, that you should be vegan. I didn't know that. It's, me neither. I mean, I knew it as a child, but I didn't connect with it. And the reason is because I, I recently looked it up. And the reason is because you should feel the pain of giving up something okay. that gives you joy. So my grandmother was vegan three times a week and she would cook this amazing dishes. And by the way, Amruta, I think we can both uh, agree that vegan Absolutely. food is not boring. I love vegan food. <laughs> if you put, if you put color yeah. and if you put the right spices and if you put the right and, condiments, it's amazing. So my grandmother and, was an amazing uh, smoky cook. Go ahead. Sauce. Yeah. <laughs> oh, smoky barbecue sauce is the best invention ever. All right. So enough about enough about my journey. I actually want to talk about something that that uh, you said in the beginning, which is this year you gave yourself more capacity to yes. love yourself. So this is this is my fourth question for you. I want to get I, I want to know a little bit about what do you mean by this and what was your relationship to yourself before this year? And why did you have to embark on this journey of loving yourself now? Oh, wow. You're really hardballing me here. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think, I think these are things that matter to you a lot. So maybe that's how you, that's yeah, why you feel this uh, okay. way. I have to think a little bit about this. But um, I, mm -hmm. I think, I think for the most part, um, I've, because of, um, I, let's say I've just had a challenging background uh, that many a times I had to focus on the situation at hand and how I was dealing with things. And I did not really have sufficient time to take a step back and understand myself or love myself. Uh, I, or mm -hmm. exactly. And, and reflect. Uh, I didn't have the time to do that. And so I was just living mostly day to day uh, I would look out maybe for two or three months at a time and um, just be hands-on with all projects. And so um, I think the more recently after COVID, the, of course, COVID was a huge shock for all of us, but it also uh, forced me to yeah. reflect because, for example, let's say in March, things were going up to March, things were going really well. I was applying to a lot of companies um, I was doing really well and I thought I would be getting an offer letter from one of these big private institutions, right? And we actually did have talks about me getting an offer letter and suddenly all these talks uh, broke down because of COVID, yeah? And right for up, yeah. a while I was shattered um, because I didn't have any more leads, all my leads had turned cold and I had to restart this entire process of job hunting and I didn't know where to start. And so at that point of time, I, um, I was exhausted and I just decided to take a step back and reflect on what I wanted to do. So I think that's the first time I had to force myself to love myself 
when I was at my worst or when I was very vulnerable because the only way to I knew wow. that the only way to heal from there or move forward from there was if I gained enough confidence and I knew that if I had gained enough confidence in myself and trusted myself enough to move on so that is where my journey started or it became more intense you know and so uh, like mm-hmm. talking about loving myself there were two ways I did that one was um understanding how I responded to things uh, and then trying to build confidence to move on, right? So that is my first part. And the second Mm. part was um, focusing on being fit. Seriously, that helped me a lot because I realized Mm. that loving myself does not have to be, it does not have to be one thing uh, either or, right? It has to be both. And so when I started taking care of myself um, physically, as well as emotionally and mentally, I started on un- uh, making more progress and gaining confidence. Mm. So uh, that's my journey, really, about loving myself. Yeah. Interesting. You know what I love about uh, about this concept of loving yourself the way you describe it is, I think I said this recently in a podcast. I heard Mark Manson, which I like very much, talking about the fact that. I think a lot of us believe that self-love is self-indulgence when actually mm-hmm. it's not, right? Self-indulgence is saying, it's okay, la, I don't have to exercise. It's okay. I don't need to eat healthy. It's okay. I don't need to learn new things. It's okay. I don't need to be productive. It's okay. You know, that is not self-love. Yeah. That is self-indulgence. Self-love, like you said, it's, it's saying, what do you actually want? Maybe it's time to get off this rat race and really think about what do you want versus what other ones? Maybe it's saying I'm a little bit weak mentally and physically and I need to do something about it and then doing it. So uh, I think the process of loving yourself, it's a lot harder than the process of, of self-indulgence. And I think a lot of us still have a hard time differentiating between these two concepts of self-love and self-indulgence. You're right. You're right. And it's, uh, I, I think... As you mentioned, a lot of reflection really is required. And uh, I think it's an exercise yeah. we have to do by ourselves. Um, I had to sit alone, mm-hmm. really go through all the emotions I was feeling, and then start um, creating a plan of action. Um, so I think like when I realized that when I realized that I wanted to start this journey of loving myself, like in my true form, I had to I I recognize that it's not about motivation, right? So the COVID situation was the motivation. I started off this exercise because of the situation. I was really low. But I realized that the only way mm-hmm. I could truly love myself consistently is by having discipline in it. Um, and so that's what I always do. I yeah. always say motivation is good, but more than that, consistency and discipline are more important in anything. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I said this on uh, a few times, but I I think there's a massive difference between talent and resilience. I think a lot of us be talented and lazy and I feel like I am very, very lazy compared to my potential. Um, And and that's what I love this this, uh, differentiation between self-love and self-indulgence. I don't want people to roll their eyes when they hear the concept of self-love. Guys, self-love is a lot of work. It's like Amruta says, it's discipline is resilience, is determination, it's uh, heavy conversations with yourself or sometimes with your friends or with your therapist. But self-love is not an act of self-indulgence. All right, Amruta, fascinating conversations. I think your first question is coming up and then I have my last question for you, unfortunately. How can it be we've been talking for 40 minutes if you're like, we just started? (laughs) Yeah, okay. So I think it's my question to you, right? Um, so I want to ask you, um, we've, been ha- we've had a conversation about fitness, about loving ourselves, uh, about veganism. So just to kind of wrap it up, what does a sustainable lifestyle mean to you? Wow, this is the hardest question I've ever been asked. I'm serious. What is a sustainable lifestyle, lifestyle to myself? Hmm. So I, I have to, I'm, I'm going to give you 10 extra points, which you can cash nowhere for this question. But I think um, 
one of the reasons why I started the, this podcast is to talk to normal people who do abnormal things. And one of the abnormal things they do is to love themselves. But once again, not to self-indulge, but to love themselves and to love themselves exactly who they are. So for me, a self, self-sustainable uh, lifestyle is a life that allows you to live your mm-hmm. truth at the cost of all uh, at the cost of living your truth. What do I mean by this? I noticed that the world doesn't like happy people. The world doesn't like confident people, especially women. The world doesn't really like when, you know, somebody stands up and say, you know what, I'm really happy with myself. I'm happy with my life. I love what I have. Um, I think we are sort of conditioned to be constantly looking for something better, to be looking for something that it's more than what you have right now. And I had this conversation with Jack Farrell on one of the episodes, and I was telling him that uh, I think for me, success is being happy with what you have and being happy in the moment, even though you're aiming for something more. But it's not always hoping for something better. And the second you got that better to jump on something else. So I would say be true to yourself, honestly. If you want to be a grocery bagger and that makes you happy, be that. Um, If you don't want to get married and your parents want you to get married and you're going to have to fight with them to stand up for your independence, do that. And by the way, the reason I mentioned this is because one of my listeners is going through this right now. I'm sending you a lot of love, honey. If you have to, uh, if you have to fight for your own voice, if you want to be a soft leader in a world where we validate assertive, aggressive leaders, I think that's a lifestyle of sustainability. I think that's a lifestyle that will not give you uh, self-doubt, self-hate, self-judgment, um yeah I, i'm i have to admit i'm, I'm gonna think about this yeah. for a long no time. i think um your first response was um quite on point though so when you mentioned that uh, allow yourself um uh, to allow you to live your truth at the cost of living your truth um i think it's quite powerful um yeah and something i'm going to think about yes yeah. but but it's a responsibility i definitely have to think yeah, about sorry, it go ahead. because i don't know the answer to it and i just wanted to hear what you had to say so a lot of people tell me and i'm not going to say this with false modesty a lot of people say i i want to be you you're so confident i want to i want to have your strength and mm-hmm. like what stops you I'm serious. What stops you to have this strength? And I think maybe the reason why you asked me this question is because they see that I'm okay with to live with the consequences of being myself, my true self. Somebody told me once that as a public speaker, I think I was giving a talk and I got off the stage and somebody came to me and said, I can't believe how you walk on that stage with so much confidence. Are you not afraid? that somebody might not like you. And I said, maybe I shouldn't be afraid of somebody likes me or not. Maybe my validation shouldn't come from that. Maybe I should okay, I should be okay, not when somebody likes me. I should be okay even yeah. when somebody doesn't like me. I, I think that that would definitely that take was, a lot of reflection yeah. and courage, I think, uh, allowing yourself to feel that way, even though, yeah. because, yeah, even though others may not like the way you behave, I guess. Hmm. Well, so once again, yeah. I'm not talking about self-indulgence. I'm not talking about yeah. being a bitch or an asshole, right? But one of the things that I experience the most is people get very sort of, they raise an eyebrow when they see a confident woman. People raise their eyebrow when they see a sensitive man. People are sort of, and I don't know who people are, but there's a majority of people who are still in the box of conventionality, right? And they don't want anybody to get out of that box. So I feel like 
Yeah, I'm going to think a lot about this uh, again, but I feel like a life of, of self-sustainability, it's a life that allows you to live your true self through a constant journey of self-improvement. Yeah. But thank you for your response. All right. I have to think this, about it this too. Was... <laughs> I'm going to listen to this a few times, but uh, we're coming up to the end. Yes. Before you have my final question for me, um, my question for you, it's in a way building up on what we just talked about. And one of the reasons I have this podcast is to help people who are unconventional, but they are still in the conventional box and they are afraid to come out. Do you have any advice for these people who have the unconventional spirit, but they are still afraid mm. to come out of the box? I think this is such an important question, but really hard also. Um, so I think because we were talking about loving ourselves, I can start off with that. Loving ourselves and being true to ourselves uh, mm -hmm. is the most important. Uh, so for example, just dabble in a couple of things and when you find your passion, work on it and um, learn to love yourself and learn to love what you do. Um, I, I think a mm. lot of the times we do adhere to societal expectations that we don't allow us to be true to ourselves and what we truly want to do. Um, yeah. So that's mine. Uh, and I think the second one for me really is, um, uh, is about kindness and compassion. So I always, or rather I try to tell myself that I have to practice kindness and compassion regardless of the situation I am in. Um, and so I'm not talking only about to others. I'm talking about to ourselves and or to the human, yeah. like to the planet, to animals, um, to the situation we are in. And I've come to realize that every time mm -hmm. I've been, I've tried practicing this, people respond very well to us. And most of the times when there appear to be barriers, they break down and it's easier to follow what you want to do. Uh, so practicing kindness and compassion. Yeah. And I, I think that's about it, like being true to ourselves, practicing kindness and compassion and having the courage to take the first step. Nice one. Courage, compassion, kindness. I want to be like you when I grow up, Amruta. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's hear from you for the final question of this podcast. But I have to say, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna sleep tonight because I'm gonna think about this, this questions that you yeah, had for I, me I really and the questions that I had for you. I think it's going much better than I expected, uh, and I, and I, I, I'm glad that it's reflected <laughs> Good. too. Uh, I'm thinking a lot here. Um, okay, so I think this question could perhaps put you in a vulnerable situation, but um, I was wondering if okay. you could share an experience where you felt vulnerable and how did you navigate out of it? I mean, I had one this week. I had one last week. I don't think there's been a week where mm -hmm. I don't feel vulnerable about something. Uh, so, so what does being vulnerable mean? I, I think it's being being aware of the fact that you're sharing something, you're, you're showing something, you're, you're demonstrating something about yourself that can be, can open a potential attack, misinterpretation, uh, a situation where you feel afraid, where you feel uh, weak, where you feel that somebody might think something of you. So I'm, I'm serious when I say this week, I just ended one of the most difficult programs of my life and I felt very vulnerable in the beginning because it was a program that I haven't done many times to a client that I think had a very different understanding of what they needed versus what they wanted and I started you know that expression no, actually, open your you kimono <laughs> it's a very visual it's a very visual expression so i think uh, i don't know exactly where it comes from but opening your kimono it mm. means that you're showing yourself to others before others can attack you in a way 
So my 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 relationship with vulnerability is that I'm always going to be to sh- I'm always going to show you my cards first. I'm always going to tell you what I know mm-hmm. and what I don't know first. So it's going to be very hard for for somebody to say, "Oh, but you are this." And I said, "Yes, I am. I already told you." It's actually I think being vulnerable it's, it's strength. It's a sign of power. Somebody told me once when I started teaching that the most confident professor is the one who invites in her class somebody she knows for a fact is better. Because you you expose yourself to vulnerability and vulnerable comparisons. But I'm always the first ones to say, listen, I actually don't know the answer to this. It's a really interesting question. What do you think? Or I would say, I don't know everything about this subject, but what I know, it's this. Do you think it can apply? And and I'm going to end here, but I think vulnerability is very much a sign of strength and confidence. Um, And I think many times we we think that people who, um, who are vulnerable are weak. But I actually think that weakness comes from arrogance. I am, believe it or not, Amruta, I am a very humble person just because I'm very confident and I project a lot of strength. It doesn't mean that I'm not humble. I know yeah. what I know no, and I, can I know what I don't know. I, uh, of course, I believe it. I, I do. You yeah. do? Being okay. confident is completely <laughs> different from being humble. Yeah. And I always, I always tell this to people. I said, you can be humble, but you can also be confident. You can stand up your grounds and say, hey, look at me. I am good. I am strong. I am beautiful. But at the same time, you can also say, but exactly. I also need to right. work a lot on myself. Speaking of working on ourselves, we have to work on our timing, Amruta, because I think the two of us can talk for at least three more hours. I loved it. Thank you so much for Did you have fun? Like, um, taking the time to explain all of these things to me. And I had a great conversation with you. I had such a great time. And um, for those of you listening for the first time, or if you haven't listened to all the episodes, the story of this podcast is very sort of unconventional. I never meant to do a podcast. I only started it as a class assignment. And then Every time I feel like I should stop because nobody listens. But by the way, Amuta, we have over a thousand I saw that. Congratulations. in less than six weeks. <laughs> Thank you so much. But every time I feel like, oh, nobody cares or nobody listens. When I have an interview with a person like you, I feel like, you know what? I care. I learn. I listen. And I'm sure you care. You learn. You listen. So even if you just do it for the two of us, yes. we still uh, It's want. a great way of looking at it. Yes. And I can do Yes. Correct. <laughs> all right so thank you so very much Amruta Harish you are truly extraordinary and highly unconventional I can't wait to watch your adventures unfold and uh, for everybody else listening please stand by for the next segment of the day the closing segment which is obviously the lesson of the day this is Loredana Podurian this was Amruta Harish on the unconventional Hey guys, I hope you appreciated the wonderful Amruta and our conversations about lifestyle, about being healthy, about working out, or in my case, not working out, um, about being vegan and everything else in between. So for the lesson of the day, I actually struggle with coming up with only one. And I think because it's the end of the year, I feel like there's so many lessons um, in this year. There's a lesson of resilience. There's a lesson of mental health. There's a lesson of concern for the planet. So the lesson of the day is a series of mini lessons. I don't know exactly what caused this COVID. I mean, yes, there's an explanation that somebody in China ate the the wrong thing and created a a virus, but Obviously, I'm not a scientist to to understand this, but I think beyond this, there's a bigger lesson that we are consuming beyond our means, that we are treating our home as a trash can, that um, we are so obsessed with today 
that tomorrow doesn't really matter. And I have to say, as a professor of business, I see a lot of companies managing their wealth as there will never be a tomorrow. It's all about today, it's all about immediate profit, it's all about immediate impact, because the incentives that were designed for senior leaders, for CEOs, for board members, are very much immediate um, in, uh, incentives, immediate KPIs. It's very hard to find a company who says, in 20 years from now, I want to have a sustainable profit strategy, people strategy, and, and environmental strategy. There are a few companies out there, but majority of us care more about today than about tomorrow. And I have to say, I'm not very different. I don't have a savings uh, plan. I don't have a retirement plan. Also because I, I'm not sure I'm going to live to see that. But like I said, one of the, 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 the primary lessons that I think I'm taking away from this 2020 um, going into 2021 is that we need to get better at this. We need to get better at treating our home like it's our home. You can shit in the same place where you eat, people. We cannot do that. We cannot treat this planet like it's a day-long activity and then we leave. We, we can't. It's not like you go to the beach or you go picnicking and then you just leave all your trash behind and you go because it, you know you're not going to come back next day. I learned about sustainability from my grandmother, um, Teresa, who was very poor and because she was very poor she she knew that nothing should be wasted and everything should be reused recycled and the one things that she would not buy were the things that she could not recycle i remember we used to to use the newspapers to wrap potatoes or or nuts um, she used every single little plastic bag to to store it something else. Um, speaking of nuts, and because it's the season of, of nuts, at least in Romania, this is where we start uh, eating walnuts. She would use the 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 the, the, the uh, walnut shells to decorate uh, our Christmas tree or to start a fire. I remember at the end of a week when we would have a major cleanup in the house that we barely had maybe half of a bucket of, of trash because she was so intense, intent about repurposing everything, recycling everything and not wasting anything that should not be wasted. If we couldn't use it, she could use it on, on the, the poultry or the, the animals in the house, uh, in the household. Um, if, um, if we overcooked, she would uh, store it, she would freeze it. Um, I don't know. I, I always thought that the, the richer you become, the more abundancy you have, uh, the less you start caring about tomorrow. And like I said, 2020 is teaching us a lot of lessons. In this segment, the lesson of the day on this podcast, I have a very hard time focusing on just one today, but maybe I will let you leave with this primary lesson that hides many little lessons in it which is, there is a tomorrow, people. We, we will be lucky enough to see a tomorrow. But the question is, how do you want that tomorrow to look like, smell like, feel like, taste like? This was your unconventional professor, Loredana Padurian. Thank you for being on the Unconventional Professor podcast. I'll see you next time. Class dismissed. Thank you.